the cage. Lock yourself in. Greetings, sweet ears. My 15 minutes on the interwebs this month were dominated by Konstantin Kissin's attack on woke culture at Oxford University. The video went mega viral in days, and he has been the darling of the right-wing shock jocks across the Anglosphere ever since. So this week, sweet ears, I dedicate the cage to these three things. What are Kissin's essential arguments? Why are they effective? And how do we encounter them? His essential argument has two parts. Woke culture is one of complaint and protest rather than building and progress. And the only thing that wokeness has to offer in exchange is to brainwash bright young minds like you to believe that what you must do to improve the world is to complain, is to protest, is to throw soup on paintings. And we on this side of the house, and we sit on this side of the house because we know that the way to improve the world is to work, is to create, it is to build. Only the rich can afford to worry about the environment. The rest of us are too busy surviving. And you know that the main thing you have to do to survive and to stay in power is to deliver the one thing that the people of China want, prosperity, economic growth. Where do you think climate change ranks on Xi Jinping's list of priorities? Let's pick those little gems apart. The first part of his speech weaponizes the anti-woke debate by conflating empathy with elitism, the protection of minorities with racism, critical thinking with complaining. You complain, we build. You block streets, close down farms, pour soup on paintings. We feed people, deliver water and sanitation to save lives, and build power stations and infrastructure to lift people out of poverty. We create, you destroy. Now, sweet ears, you must resist the temptation to dismiss these arguments out of hand. Your drunken uncle, who last year was telling you that climate change is a geological phenomena, is now gathering together headlines to support his argument. Examples of those headlines, the Dutch government's climate policy will reduce the production of milk and increase milk prices. The Australian government's cap on gas prices will be a disincentive to exploration, and so gas prices will rise due to the consequent lack of supply. Well, yes, duh, that's the point. Kissin's argument uses the truth without the full context to remind people about what is actually scary. We are going to have to learn to live with sufficiency instead of endless, wasteful consumption. Kissin even employs his new baby son to tug at our heartstrings using a straw man argument that if the only way to save your baby's life was to press a button that releases plumes of CO2, let me tell you something. There is not a parent in the world who would not smash that button so hard their hand bled. While he cheats a little, he's fundamentally bright. No one wants to give up their privilege and many will fight to the death for what they consider to be their God-given rights. The second part of his speech builds on this fundamental and self-centered personal concern into a global concern for the world's poor. Poor countries want to be rich, like us, and it is extremely arrogant for us to tell them they can't do that because it is bad for the planet. How many of you are going to go home tonight and say, let's rip out our bathroom and erect a Siberian shithouse in the back garden? <laughs> and if you're not, why should they? Again, 
This is the actual argument used by developing nations in international forums to demand that rich countries compensate them for the damage of climate chaos and funds their development pathways to post-industrial affluence. He concentrates on China because it's a convenient bogeyman and points to the reality that the promise of future prosperity holds the Chinese political system together. He doesn't mention that it's the failure of that promise of prosperity that is causing our political system to fall apart. So once again, the major problem countering his position is that you cannot simply refute his key arguments because the key arguments are true. He concludes his argument by saying that in the face of climate chaos, the role of rich countries is to develop new technology that allows us all to be prosperous, clean and green. And so I put it to you, ladies and gentlemen, there is only one thing we can do in this country to stop climate change, and that is to make scientific and technological breakthroughs that will create the clean energy that is not only clean, but also cheap. This is the Roscano decoupling argument that we've tackled at length here in the cage. We can decouple economic growth from environmental harm, so have our cake and eat it too. This is the fervent hope of every neoliberal government, every circular economy consultant and the climate conscious corporations who they work for. It splits climate activism into two camps, the industrial green growth camp and the small footprint camp. What Kissin effectively does is challenge well-educated middle-class climate conscious consumers to desert climate activism that actually threatens economic growth. That's one of the ways in which he's so effective. Let's look at how he achieves that. The first major shift is that he eliminates climate denial as a factor. You wish to save the planet. And for tonight, and tonight only, I will join you. I will join you in worshipping at the feet of St. Greta of climate change. Notice that he cleverly acknowledges that the climate debate has been won and that it's time to move on, at the same time as he flags to his followers that he knows that it's a load of crap. He says to us that he's only teasing and that he accepts our premise and is going to convince us that our motives are correct, but our response is wrong. Now, I want to talk to those of you who are woke and who are open to rational argument. A small minority, I accept. Note, again, the way that he undermines us as his opponents, even while he pretends to appeal to us. Which brings me to his next major shift. He does not invoke any conspiracy theories. He does not lie about the major facts, so it's extraordinarily difficult to argue with him. What he brilliantly does as well is use debating techniques to drive these points home. He uses emotional descriptions of poverty as a technique for making us emotionally identify with the argument and want to repeat it passionately. Given the core of truth, it makes those passionate repetitions very difficult to rebut. He brings together disaffected opponents of government, science and the media with rational thinkers whose jobs and lifestyle rely on a healthy economy. As a result, we find ourselves fighting on two radically different fronts. On one hand, we try to counter the high-tech rewilding biosynthesis argument, and on the other hand, with the envy of the dispossessed, who are told that educated middle-class greenies care more about the environment than they do about you. Ironically, both these different arguments suit the few individuals who own most of the world's wealth. You call them the 1%, I call them the one per crore. They invest in protecting themselves from the shitstorm they call the event, while they fan the flames of hatred felt by the dispossessed for the educated. They blame the system for the collapse of the prosperity 
that relied on economic growth. In their view, the crash in the world's population, the tanking of the global economy and the reduction of the working class to serfdom and slavery is just the market at work. It's social Darwinism, red in tooth and claw. It's the apocalypse that we had to have. Let's wipe out that arrogant middle class who despise you so you can work directly for us. Konstantin Kissin sugars the apocalypse with a coating of green growth. He leads with cheap renewable energy as the mechanism that will make the West great again. Green hydrogen, electrification of transport and heating and the removal of fossil fuels will save us all. Standing in the way of green growth is to endanger the future of billions. To counter his argument, we have to perform the same trick in reverse. We have to unite the disaffected and the thinkers in understanding that rampant capitalism is destroying human society as well as the natural systems that support us. And that sticking together and looking after each other is the way out of the shit fight. To do that, we have to acknowledge and be prepared to sacrifice our middle class privilege to show this solidarity with the disaffected, at the same time as patiently separating their distrust of the system from their distrust of communal effort. We need to be organised to survive, but we need that organisation to be transparent and grassroots. If the leaders are not visible members of the community they lead, that trust cannot be regained. We need to use his method of saying two things at once to both acknowledge that protest does not immediately help the general population at the same time as pointing out that protest ended slavery, earned women the vote and established the eight hour day. We also need to build the community based future that we believe in so that we can demonstrate that it is better than the corporate feudalism that gobbles human values as its tentacles expand into every aspect of our life. That is the way that we counter Constantine Hissing.